Hello there, Timothy. How's it going today? Hey, David. It's going pretty good. You know, Trudeau hasn't banned these guns yet, so I'm doing all right. As soon as he disarms me, yeah, I'll I've be been, an unhappy I've been guy, working but... out a little bit. These are bigger nice. than they've been for a while. Nice. I gotta fight, fight back, uh, Trudeau. Does, does your do your guns have COVID? No, man. These are clean as a whistle, baby. Clean Very as a whistle. Very nice. Um, so today we had. We're gonna talk kind of beside the gun issue because. This is something that uh, you know a, a viewer submitted as a question or an, an area they'd want us to explore. And it's not about the gun debate per se, but it's about you know government powers more broadly. So I'll read what he sent me and then give my brief commentary on it and we can get into it. So he says, I would like to hear about how figures of authority, elected officials, should have their powers kept in check. I think this is a valid discussion whenever gun control comes up. I think the U.S. having Second Amendment rights so that a militia would be capable of overthrowing the government in power if they abuse their power is a decent fail-safe mechanism. However, I am not fond of a world where everyone walks around with an M14 or an AK-47 strapped around them. And this is why I like the idea of a small government. Get people to take responsibility for a majority of their life, and then the government won't be able to make massive failure where people would go hungry, revolt, and put the aristocrats through the guillotine. Guillotine, um, And so I think there's a couple different issues at play here, right? I think there's one, uh, how do we hold the government? I think there's a bunch actually, uh, four yeah. come to mind. But so there's, you know, how big should government be and, and you know, why? There's um, how do we hold government accountable no matter what size they are? There's should people carry you know, how heavy of machinery with them to protect themselves and does the second amendment work? Um, So I sent him an article I wrote a a while ago about the second amendment, a very brief one, basically saying the second second amendment does work if people can have assault weapons because, or semi-automatic weapons, because it is about protecting people from a tyrannical government. Yet the government has tanks and nukes. So it's like, like, because uh, people were saying, oh, the founding fathers couldn't have predicted the advances of technology to get to like such destructive weapons. But that goes yep. for both sides of the of the issue. Right. Um, yep. But generally speaking, I think the, the most important principle is, yes, the smaller that government is, the less control they have over your life. But that mm-hmm. is even the smallest government that is still a government would have the right. Uh, of weaponry, let's say, right? The right of force. And this is where, you know, we split that you're an anarcho-capitalist, I'm an objectivist. Uh, And, but I mean, so no matter how small government gets, the issue of how to protect yourself from them when they go awry is the same. So I don't know if we want to like kind of leave the size of government aside um, because yes, like massive government failures where everyone starves to death are really bad. But that's not the same issue of why there's a Second Amendment, right? Why there's a Second Amendment is to protect yourself from uh, even a small government doing the wrong thing and someone evil seizing the force, let's say. I don't know where you want to go from here, but there's a lot at play in this. Yeah, there, there's a lot of play. And, you know, look, the U- U.S. 
um, obviously has a very different culture than Canada. I mean, it was basically founded when a bunch of libertarians picked up arms and shot a bunch of conservatives and tried to, and they formed what is arguably the best country to ever exist, right? In terms Objectivism of- Objectivism says the only moral country to ever exist. Right, right. And, and from that morality, you know, as Ayn Rand said, what's ethical is pragmatic as well, right? And so- What's ethical is practical. Is practical, right? Yes, of course. Not pragmatic. That's a sin word. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> altruism, pragmatism, yeah, all these are. Well, those for, are different you know, philosophies, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. But so, so yes. So it, it was, but now it's it's grown into probably the the largest government in history. That the most imperial or one of the most imperialistic. It's dropped nukes on people, like you know, it's killed <laughs> hundreds of thousands, if not millions, worldwide. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to make a case that, so I guess the point is like, it, it's very difficult to restrain government. And even when you have a second amendment, government has still grown. And because the thing that limits government in my perspective is not so much guns as it is culture. It's the belief that is in the people's head. The government can't withstand, right. uh, like if, if America turned into hardcore minarchists tomorrow, it would start, it, it would start um whittling down it would it yeah. would decrease in size and no gun would have to be drawn it would just be the power of the ballot box right now mm-hmm. that being said there is something about that there it is true also that guns um can help restrain government okay civilian guns can help restrain government now obviously if you're going head to head with the u.s military you're going to lose but that's right. not how these things pan out right mm-hmm. uh we had uh remember the bundy ranch the clive and clive and Bungie, bundy bundy there's a standoff over um the, the the there's basically what the u.s has they had some federal land but clive and bundy had been grazing his cattle on there for generations okay the bundy family and i think it's it was in nevada or something like that and the federal government decided they were going to shut that down and not allow them on that land anymore but you know from I think objectivists and libertarian standards, one could make an argument that the Bundy family actually owned that land, not the, the government. You mm-hmm. can't just fiat say we own this land. You actually have to do something to stake a claim or something, yeah. you know, or or do something with the land if you subscribe to the Lockean homestead. And he was he was using it for his cows. So he he said, "No, you're not going to take this land from me." And he and a bunch of his friends got guns and said. We're, we're prepared to use these guns if you can, if you try to enforce this. And there was a standoff and eventually the feds backed down, um, you know, because they remembered things like Ruby Ridge and Waco, Texas, where they went in guns blazing and it was all over the news and people were horrified. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so you could even say that at Ruby Ridge and Waco, the people that use guns there to defend their freedoms, um, even though it didn't turn out good for them, those individuals, they laid the pathway for government to be much more careful about how it enforces laws and to, and to maybe consider not, not imposing rules that, that it's going to have to enforce or that's going to meet resistance in enforcing because that's yeah. going to be bad PR. And again, it wasn't the fact that they, the, the Clive and the Bundys won in a shootout. It's the fact that, but the fact that they had guns and were prepared to use them backed the government down. Right. Um, and, and it's interesting. Two things come to mind. One is that 
yeah, when you're fighting for freedom, you might lose your life, right? Like if yep. someone is trying to take your stuff and take your freedom and you're willing to risk your life, sometimes you lose that, even if it's your own government trying to do it. So I agree with that, that important point that that then sets the standard like, oh, look, look what like, because and and so and it's the same principle at play with Bundy. It's that people, the government is so used to just doing whatever it wants and the 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 force behind it being behind, like being so subtle, being unmentioned, right? And some people will call to question, no, look, I'm willing to actually defend myself. If you want it, come take it from my cold, dead hands, right? Um, right. And so there's people who have, who did that and the government did force them. And then it face, it forces the public to look, holy shit. No, the government is actually yes. killing its own citizens. And then, then it, calls into question, okay, I'm actually going to call your bluff government. You want to come and take this from me? Come and take it from me. Use the force that you claim is your right, um, which isn't, mm -hmm. right? And so it, it that's an important point. And I think, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's not like we can sit here and solve, you know, if the U.S. government went really bad and started attacking its citizens with the military, you know, obviously the AK-47s that, you know, you know, even 100,000 Americans have aren't going to protect them. But it's also, it's oh, going to be a but, but here's, here's Right. But here's what will protect them. Culture will protect them, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you're, you're, these military men and cops are your neighbors. They live in your neighborhood. Now, how easy is it going to be for them to turn their guns on you and shoot you? Um, right? They're, if, the, if the culture wants freedom and they're part of that culture, they're going to have a hard time doing that unless they're you know right and it's and i mean there's yeah there's a lot at play as well because i was going to say one there'd be a scramble right like it's not like everyone i wouldn't think everyone in the u.s military would fall in line with this plan right with these programs or whatever right, right? but also it's not that there could be a coordinated military attack on all of the u.s at once a lot of it would be these local small militias and you could fight back in these certain areas it's not like there's tanks and bombers that yeah. just decimate the U.S. at once. So you would have the ability to fight back in the communities where the, the fights are necessary. But I think, I, I think also the Second Amendment is an important um, symbol, right? Like we talked in the gun episode about how a gun is a, a very important symbol of freedom. And so the Second Amendment is as well. The Because the government cannot take this from us, right? That is the protection. And this, you know, uh, what is the protection generally is the constitution in the U S right? right? Like they're saying, this is the document that right. subordinates government to the people right. uh, rather than people yeah. to the government. And, and, Here and it's is the limitations. And the only yes. reason the U S like there were contradictions inherent in the constitution, it didn't have a moral grounding. So uh, like, that's why the U S could kind of turn statist again, but the whole, the, the principles are, no, it's a government instituted among men to protect the government protects one man from another, but doesn't have its own will. And so instantiating, right. if that's the right word, in the Constitution, I mean, as an amendment that no, even this, even the first thing that government would want to take away, it cannot do. I think that's quite important. 
Yeah. And, uh, and it's important to note that, uh, you know, law enforcement officers and uh, military and, you know, all the people that are going to be using the guns and even politicians, they swear uh, an oath to protect the constitution, right. To uphold mm-hmm. and protect it or something like that. So they are upholding these ideas that Americans hold sacred. And so when you ask them to say, uh, violate that, they, a lot of them have their conscience won't allow it. And we see this all the time in the U S when they implement a gun grab or, um, you know, lockdowns in some States, there are sheriffs saying, we're not going to enforce this. This is unconstitutional. You, you can't make me do mm. something that violate, you know? And, and so again, it comes down to these principles and ideas having a foothold in culture and in the brains of people more than anything. That's what limits government. Government is downstream from culture. I've said this forever. Um, And if you want to limit government, what you have to do is change the thoughts and beliefs that people hold dear through persuasion. Uh, That's the only way you're going to limit government. You have to persuade people to embrace liberty and to hold government accountable. And until you do that, there's no... There's no system like, you know, there's no group, small group of people that's going to do it. It has to be a tipping point of people um, doing it, you know, because. Yeah. Yeah. And so this brings it to the other major issue in, in the viewers, you know, question, let's say, is how do we keep government in check generally? And I mean, the whole principle of Western democracy is we do it through the ballot box. Right. That yeah. is we don't want to have to go and fight them right that is not the world we want to have Um, and that's why we have constitutions that's why we have rule of law is so that we hold them accountable by voting them out and but we'll just get more of the same unless there's the broader cultural change right and i think that's important but i do want to say that his other point about like minarchy small government is valid right the smaller the government is, and if the government was really only doing the proper role of government, which is protecting individual rights, then there isn't all of this conflict that we have to hold them accountable for generally, right? They'd be an arbiter, and then the public could see, okay, do we agree, did they objectively arbitrate this dispute properly or not, right? Whereas now it's just pressure group warfare, they have so many things that they're doing, and there is no principle of, well, is this right or not? Because it's the whole foundation is wrong. They shouldn't be even engaging in these things, let alone have and having force behind them. So that's yeah. like that's why when they are now the aggressor in so many areas, they're more aggressor than protector, right? So right. then it's okay. Well, what are the limits? How do we protect ourselves from the government? But the whole mm-hmm. idea of the American Constitution is no. It's inherently supposed to be the protective element. Right. They should never be the aggressor. And so we have to kind of get back to what is the proper conception of government. Yeah. And and part of the problem is, you know, part and this is my main objective objection to to minarchism is that you're violating a principle right out of the outset that says that says this group of men um, has rights that other men don't have. Right. And, And so as soon as you violate that principle, you're setting the stage for a cancer that's going to grow and, and, and fester in my opinion. Um, yeah. 
but but beside my, that, you know, if, to if be I just, were, I will if, say I disagree, even though sure, we don't sure. have to get into it right fair, now. Fair, fair enough. We don't have to get into it. But if I were a minarchist, what I would do, and this is something that I've actually put forward in, in my platform with the Libertarian Party, is I've often thought about, well, how can we limit government? One of the things that I think is necessary is for politicians and decision makers to have skin in the game and to face some liability or repercussions for decisions that harm people, right? So one mm-hmm. of the things I put in my policy is that if we're going to go to war, um, maybe what we should have is politicians who vote for going to war or send troops into battle either have to uh, sacrifice like, or, or put up you know, $100,000 of equity from their own personal wealth or more, like a, a mm-hmm. sizable chunk or percentage of their wealth. Because if we're going to war, I mean, that means that our nation is in jeopardy and that we need to defeat the enemy. And mm-hmm. it should be all hands on deck. And politicians should be uh, subject to the same thing they're asking other people to do. Or they should right. go serve frontline on the battlefield. Now, I think with that, with having skin in the game there and having to take personal responsibility for their decisions and suffer the ramifications thereof, it's going to make them think, long and hard about the kind of um, decisions they make, right? And you could imagine this applying to all sorts of different areas and having some kind of mechanism for liability baked into the cake when you form this constitution. Because it can't just be, these are the ideas we want you to limit yourself to, um, because they're always going to find a way to push the envelope a little bit and push the envelope a little bit more. But there there actually needs to be some responsibility taken when those decisions cause harm and go the wrong way. Right. And I I think that I mostly agree. I've not thought about it explicitly for, let's say, elected officials. But the analogies that come to mind is if you're on the board of directors of a corporation, you're liable for wrong decisions you make that if they're negligent to the corporation. And I'm very I I agree with the and your corporation goes tits up if uh, right. And if if you're not providing the value you're supposed to. Right. And and more importantly, I think, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the entire way engineers are regulated in Canada, but an engineer is ultimately liable for construction. And if this building collapses, this guy who said it wouldn't collapse is liable personally for the death. Right. The deaths. And I mean, that is proper in my view. I've not thought this through deeply, but you know, right now I'm thinking, yeah, that makes sense. Someone is claiming in a contract with someone, this building is safe. It will not kill you. And then the building kills you. They should be held liable. They broke the contract. That is not acceptable. And so I think that framework would be, to me, it makes sense to apply that more widely. But like I said, I've not put a lot of thought into it, but there should be, there should be, yeah, potentially deeper mechanisms in place than just voting people out. Um, But that being said, you know, we just talked about the virtue of justice as well. In a, in a truly moral society, there would be no conscription. So even if the government says we're going to war, only people who choose to go are taking that risk upon themselves. So it shouldn't be that the gut, like every politician says, Oh no, I also, right. I also am going to war they can think, no, 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 I have a different duty to play um, or a different role to play. And so, but each person, the government can't force anyone to do anything. So each person is taking that responsibility on themselves. There's no forced taxation either. So each person isn't forced to contribute to the war effort, even financially, unless they think it's in their best interest. So I think in the, at least in the objectivist view of government, they're like, everything is voluntary. So even the decision maker 
has no more liability than anyone else because they're not forced to pay either and they're not forced to be in combat. So if no one is, you can just disagree with the decision right. and not go to war, right? Yeah, um, yeah. no, and, and that's fair. But if you're going to vote to go to war, if you have that kind of power that you can vote the army to go to war, um, I, I mean, you should put your money where your mouth is and at least pay your share of the, the war effort. Yeah, I think that's another interesting, deeper conversation as well, because I'm trying to think of or, like I mean, company there's analogies, a, there's, right? There's also like, some li- liability as well. There should be some liability on you, like, you know. But I mean, uh, if I, the, if the I run terrorist a company, attacks are going to go up, like, is there any liability the government should have for the blowback and the obvious? Well, the, it would, the, there would also only be defensive wars, right? Like, you should right. never have an aggressive war. But also, the analogy is like, okay, if I run a company, and I need some people to shovel shit. It doesn't mean I want to shovel shit, right? Or if like I have security yeah. guards who work for me and they're putting their lives at risk, that doesn't mean I put my life at right. risk. But um, the company owner has skin in the game in that his yeah, company have, could go bankrupt and fail and he will lose everything if, if it, they don't right. do a good and job, so, right? Yeah, that's an so interesting... What, what's an analogy we could do for politicians? Because all they well, will do is lose their job. They won't lose their house. They won't lose their assets. They won't... Yeah, so that's an interesting thought experiment because like you'd think a politician, I mean, in the proper role of, yeah, I think in the proper formatted, for, in a proper society, the politicians would have extremely, their only role would be to make sure that the police do things properly, the military right. do things properly, and the courts do things properly. And to just, they'd be, they'd be more thinking about principles than anything else like what and and they'd be kind of more academic right than than you know marketers and so i would think that they would i would hope my politician has a vested interest in the country doing well um and they would be more measured and they would have some sort of skin in the game um but in terms of if there's like you know some sort of uh explicit requirement that's it's an interesting uh, you know, thought, but I, yeah, don't I mean, I, I, I don't know how to make that work. Um, you know, I, I've thought of some ideas, but you know, th- this is part of the problem of government though. Right. And, and if you're going to have a democracy, they have to devote some por- portion of their time, a good portion of their time to marketing. Like why should I, they vote for me rather than someone else? Um, so it's very difficult for them to become kind of philosophy kings or something like that where all no, but, is thinking but if all well, how do you the, hold them accountable to that right other than right but if all they're doing is trying to formulate the best principles like if the government is really limited in what it can do to to form principles around military police and judiciary what are they selling you right what are they marketing to you they're marketing their ability to think principally right in the right. like that's, that's that that would be what you want, not oh, what Trudeau? Yeah. He's gonna say, yeah. he's gonna give me more goodies, so I want to vote for him, right? So it's I, yeah. I think that's another. It's again, it's Ultima- a deeper ultim- thought experiment. Yeah, and and ultimately it comes down to again culture, right? So yeah. you need a culture that wants those things, and then you're going to get politicians that fill that market niche. Niche, mm-hmm. but um, you know it, it's it's difficult because they're always going to use propaganda and argue for why they need just a little bit more power here and why we just need to, you know, violate this principle just a little bit. It's not really a violation. It's just, you know, 
and you do that by scaring people and until people can even learn to manage their fear and take responsibility for their own fear and anxiety, they're going to be easily manipulated into demanding more government. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, you have to, I mean, that's why integrity is so important because you have to not allow any slippage of principles. And at least in Ayn Rand's view, like the, the errors were inherent in the founding, right? It wasn't, the U.S. wasn't the perfect experiment. It was a really good experiment. But I read somewhere as well that, you know, we shouldn't bemoan how far the U.S. has, how far the U.S. has fallen. We should be pretty amazed that it's still pretty darn free and pretty darn good, despite 150 yep. or however many years of people trying to tear it down. And look at what's happened in many other countries relative to that. So it's like, more so looking at how good the experiment has gone in the U.S. and seeing, okay, well, what are the errors? How do we correct these principles? Um, yeah, and, so and, and you, can see it, you can see it even in the way that a lot of Americans are just kind of shrugging off the lockdown orders, right? Like in California, everyone's going to the beach. You know, in other yeah. states, people are just showing up and protesting. Like they're, they're doing things, they're disobeying. They're just, you don't see that in a lot of other countries. So it's right. kind of heartening and, to see that it's still happening. In the US. Yeah, this is what we talked about in the episode where I said you broke me, right? Ayn Rand claimed at least that like, the American sense of life was had freedom yeah. built into it because, yes. because they were like a rebel nation. They knew they were morally good at the founding of the country. And so it's interesting. Do you have any last top last thoughts on, on this viewers question or query of, of you know, it was quite broad, even though it was condensed, but no, um, I, 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 I totally sympathize with this guy and his thinking and trying to think about how we could engineer a, a better, more restrained government. And, you know, ultimately it all comes down to, this is what I like about objectivism is some of the conversations I've had with David. It comes back to the man in the mirror. You know, these, this philosophy, these principles are something you can apply right now in your own life to get more freedom for yourself right now. You know, um, just by you, you can, you know, magnify your freedom right now just by adjusting your mindset and the way you think about people um, and, and the way you enact your principles. You can start that right now. You know, freedom to me is not just freedom from coercion, which we can't necessarily do anything about, but it's also taking on more responsibility, becoming more competent, um, having the right mind frame and, and principles that we're applying to our own life. So, <clears throat> You know, I would encourage him to, to think about that. I mean, it's nice to think about politically. And of course, I'm a political leader. So I operate in this realm all the time of imagining what government could be like and trying to communicate that. But more and more, I find myself um, going towards what can I do in my own life to get more freedom, despite all the things that government is doing that I can't control and probably never will be able to control. I think that's really important. And I've never made that explicit connection, even though we've talked about it a lot, that so much of where people's lack of feeling free comes from is self-imposed BS. And a lot of it is moral, right? And, and so yeah. until they feel morally free to live the life they think is best and that they want to live, and they don't kind of subjugate themselves to their own coercive thoughts, let's say, right? So it's really about how do I bring more freedom to my life so I can live as right. free as possible given the ex external circumstances that are forced upon me. Yeah. And it, it makes me think, I don't know the exact quote, but there's this quote from Atlas Shrugged where Hank Reardon, one of the main characters, finally kind of sheds the false morality of altruism and kind of lets go of these, 
these doctrines he's been telling himself. And it just says like, he's free. Right. And the government didn't change. His stuff was still being taken away from him by the government, but he was free. He could see it in the proper perspective. He was, he could be more indifferent to what was forced upon him because he was free in his own soul. And like, that is what's really worth pursuing. And that's, what's really important and powerful when you're free to stand up for your principle, despite the moral sanction or the sanction, social sanction of people around you. Right. Um, you know, that's how, you know, when you're free, when they don't have a hold of your mind, it mm-hmm. doesn't, it almost doesn't matter. And, and if you live a life that is free, despite these lockdowns, you know, I've developed a website during this lockdown. I've done all these things, been very productive. Um, not just despite the lockdown, but almost because of it, uh, because it's, it's put me into like, yeah, I, I need to reevaluate. Think, it makes me reevaluate. I, I can sit here and shake my fist at government and get stressed and rail against them and do all these things that doesn't contribute to my freedom, but living a free life and being a beacon to others that they can live this way. And the more people that, that have this attitude that we're talking about in their own personal life, that's the smaller what and smaller the government world, yeah. gets. Yeah. That's what changes and, and so, things. And can't. so that's, that's it. You know, my advice is become, become the kind of person, that kind of person that is a beacon to others, just a highly competent, highly, you know, just a shining light. And when you do that, you, you start to free the world because they notice that light and they want to unlock it in their own life. And, um, and, and that's how, how you, you know, that's the only thing you can really do, I think, to, to limit government. Cool. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, David.